0: Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy,
1: Hey Diddle Diddle,
0: Duncan, Peter, hey Jeff, Yellow, and John. Hello. <laughs> we had all unique uh, sign-ins. Cool. Well, I thought that we weren't going to have a lot to talk about today uh, because my life's been kind of burning down. Um, <laughs> but we do have stuff to talk about, uh, unrelated to my life burning down. And in fact, this will be the inaugural episode of our new theme focused format uh the second half of this podcast will be the theme of family whether literal blood relatives or the kind of nakama that happens in <laughs> oh, shonen anime Can't start over <laughs> no or we'll keep it going andy you've watched a really rare oh, anime i don't think anyone else has watched any of
1: right no, I've, I've watched this one uh, anime called overlord uh, the 2018 drama thriller from 2018 um, <laughs> with John McGarrow, uh which oh, is set in the movie. Okay. Of D-Day. I didn't right. realize that was a movie. No, I didn't hate that
2: movie. That's pretty good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> isn't that? The, isn't that the awful zombie Nazis movie? Oh yeah, 100. percent Is it awful? <laughs> no, nah, it's fine. Is it zombies? <laughs> yeah,
2: Nazi I mean, zombies.
1: The, zombies. Anyway. No, I've been watching uh, Overlord, which is an anime that none of you cats have heard about. And I think maybe Duncan has talked about once. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's all right. It's like another isekai thing, but it's kind of interesting (laughs) to watch it. (laughs) So how many episodes have you watched? I watched all of the first season. Okay, so you
3: you need to tell us why this was not a three and done. (laughs)
1: Uh, Because I was watching it. Two reasons. A, I was watching it whilst running because that's now my, my new thing to to get on a treadmill and run and watch anime, and uh, and B uh, because season one constantly comes on and off of Netflix, off Crunchyroll, when they seem to have a bit of a falling out with Funny. So it came on, and I was like, I better start watching it because I want to watch it. And if I don't watch it now it'll it'll come off again before I realise, remember uh, that I want to start watching it again. False scarcity. <laughs>
0: it brings you back to the old days of anime when nothing was on anything and it was hard to watch any anime.
1: Yeah. Uh so Overlords Overlord's um it's alright. Uh yeah, I watched the <laughs> <laughs> I watched the first season. What I did like like, especially coming off the back off of uh slime, is just uh how um unnice he is with a lot of things <laughs> like there's uh people if only there were a word like, for unnice mean and evil he's he's a mean and evil man no, he's but he's not evil. because so, because he, find out. he's kind of well this is the thing right he's at least in the first season he's kind of not done that much evil stuff he he does mm-hmm. stuff like killing which if you're in slime world that is bad um, unless, you, of course, you're eating him, so that he can then face a person of his past to make him feel better. Uh, that's the only time that slime allows death when it comes with closure. <laughs> um, but the uh, but so you you know like like the the first season kill like he he kills like that the, the uh, plate lady, which I thought was a pretty cool fight and it doesn't really he fucking it, hugs
2: her to death you you can't not call he <laughs> hugs her to death yeah, not
1: even, a... even then like the fact that, did it not it's a bit weird I don't know that he just straight up killed a woman is that a weird thing like if it was a guy I don't think I would have bothered
4: that much but she was like its <laughs> that Clementine you're talking about the yeah. sort sure. of necromancer's yeah. accomplice
1: yes. yeah why not yeah no no, no that is
4: it Yeah. <laughs> um
1: but even though she was clearly evil, uh, it still sat with me a bit weird how he just like hugged her and broke her back and just killed <laughs> her with magic and shit. I don't know. She was. It was. It was a weird thing to see like him be evil, but then also sort of do it for the good because he's not at least in the first arc. I
2: mean, he's, arguably he's not being evil there. He's just
4: no, he's killing. Because I mean, person. she is a
2: bad guy. She
4: in, is a bad in the, guy in the yeah. in the show. Um, But yeah, that first arc is very much about him not necessarily doing things for good or for evil, but just doing them for the sake of the group, for the sake of. um,
1: Yeah, he's not necessarily he's not overtly doing bad things, although a lot of the good comedy comes from when he does evil. He does good stuff because he's still got like the mind of his of his like 20 something year old, like office worker brain. And he's like, I've got to be a good person inherently because that's who he is. Um, he's not a lich that he is the persona that he's made himself out to be in the real, in the world.
2: And you're in for a ride if you keep watching. <laughs>
1: yeah, but this is the thing, like um, he, he then always explains, at least in the first season, he explains his good intentions to his uh, to his colleagues as sort of, or as like minions as a way of sort of him expanding his information and knowledge network. And that was, I think it's kind of like him getting around that as well as also you have the traditional isekai tropes of him being ultra-powerful and having world items uh, and then also having paid-for items, which I always find really funny in the game in this because he's like, oh, I've paid for this item. And then I'm just like, yeah, but nobody understands what you mean. Like, you had to pay for all the items, but this isn't a real money game. Anyway, so, like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he he is uh, he is an inherently bad person. But the thing that I thing that shocked me from the first season is one really nothing happens like he fights he he has an alternate personality he fights a, a hamster that turns into his right like, pet mm-hmm. which is adorable and funny and then he uh and then he he does he prevents a dun- he prevents a dungeon necromancer and then he fights his own colleague who's been uh brain melded or brainwashed to fight anyone who attacks them and then that's the end of season one but it's like if you compare that with like slime like so much happens in the first season of slime so much so that they even it feels like they there's a huge slowdown in season two because they're like season one he like sets up his world he builds it all from nothing he gets like all these colleagues and it's just like sure he already has a lot of that stuff Mm, but still very much like the overworld building and sort of like him furthering his conquest it hasn't really begun in that first season which I find kind of interesting because Overlord
2: is yeah it's pretty slow and he takes his time Aynes takes his time to explore and, and feel things out before he takes action and
1: <laughs> Yeah, and I like that like and then I, when he I'm does not, take action it's big. I'm not marking that as a criticism, I like, I'm liking that it's taking its time and, and even though it's slow it still is interesting and it keeps you engaged. And also there's just as like a writing like a lot of characters comes back and sort of like little things that he didn't realise would be a big issue, certainly at the beginning, like when he hands the red potion that then becomes sort of yeah. like the crux for a bunch of characters to start getting involved in him and his plot is so really interesting. I
3: got a question. Um the So this is the second time that we've talked about Overlord. Every time we do, I like I always try to figure out what is the draw of this show over a show like Slime. And I'm wondering is this a show that is about how pragmatism is good actually and just nah. or is it a show that like
2: I mean we've talked about it before. Like it's hmm. it's like a yakuza <laughs> Uh,
3: uh, so it's like it's like you know, is it? Is it- so are there because it sounds like he's making decisions based on you know an outmoded ideology from his previous life and like do those decisions start biting him in the ass or is it like oh I'm starting Uh, to lose myself and I have to go back to being good or
1: well this is the thing I I get the impression and and Duncan and uh, John you can prove me wrong like I get the impression that his mind is slowly changing and he's losing less and less of his human self because the episode that I just last episode I just watched it ended off with him Saying sweet, let's pillage a village, and you're just like okay. This is quite a 360 from your sort of happy life that you've been leading so far. Um, His
2: his main goal is to protect his family, or like all of his minions who he he thinks of as family. He doesn't. It's, It's in the beginning. He like I think he's trying to rationalize the fact that he used to be a human who with actual emotions and caring about other people, but as time goes on he's just kind of like yeah i don't actually care about mm. anyone but yeah. my people
4: yeah as john says like there's initially a, a bit of a conflict between him thinking of the people he encounters as npcs and thinking them of them as humans and like when he thinks of them as other humans that's when he tends to be kind to them because he'll it will the show will often cut back to a, a memory of uh a, one of the people he's played with one of his fellow guild members being kind to someone and him sort of relating to them as if they were humans but when the sort of lich side starts to take over more and starts to inhibit his emotions more he starts treating them just as, well, resources basically and that's the sort of slow creep we see as as it goes on, like there is part of him which wants to see them as humans but fundamentally he can't really see anyone as human which who isn't part of his little guild slash family Uh, is
2: uh, in season two you say is that when the
1: lizard people show up
4: yeah season two's lizard people (laughs) season three is the empire
2: is is, are you at the lizard people andy or no 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 no. he's
1: literally just said hey it's it's funny because as time
2: goes on like as he exhibits less and less human-like behavior, his, or, or, you know, empathetic behavior, I guess, to be more precise, his his minions start showing more and more, especially, like, a couple that I can think of, but I, I'm not really yeah, going mean, to go into it because it doesn't matter for you, but yeah. it's it's kind of funny. Uh, I don't know. It's. Do, do you yeah. get the
3: sense that the show has a point of view that it's trying to promote, or no. is this all just kind of like... Just like lost, where like things just happen week to week because they needed something to happen week to week.
2: Uh, you're just following a bad guy who's looking out for his people and doesn't really care about anyone else. That's that's it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's sort of like a agenda he's trying to push or anything. Not like, that, that, just... that
3: he's trying to push, but that the show is trying to push. Yeah, like no, the, I,
1: don't I don't think, think so. I don't think there is any politics behind the show. I just Everything think is, it's... Political. <laughs> even uh, is political. Yeah, even mahjong is political. I do think there <laughs>
4: is definitely a viewpoint in it that it espouses that he's he sees this um, guild as something he's put all this this work and time and investment of his his life into and which he's devoted himself to more than perhaps the other members of the guild were originally, and how this sort of. Oh, it's, What's 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 the term when someone invests a lot in something and doesn't want to admit they're wrong? Oh god, sunk so fallacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like that. He's invested so much into making this guild what it is that he can't ever sort of admit that maybe they've started to become the sort of things they. In metaphorically, this this dislikes because, like, one of the things that's set up in the early episodes is that it's a guild specifically for non-human characters. So all, all the all the different characters are like he's a lich. There's vampires, there's undead, and whatever. And <laughs> so, like, the one of the early little mini storylines is like they got bullied because they were non-human. So. People sort of automatically were like, oh, you're obviously evil. So it's Horde versus Alliance almost. It's like, oh, they're the, they're the orcs and the undeads. So they're obviously the bad guys. God, I, I feel maybe I've been paying attention, but like, that's an
0: interesting way to contrast it with Slime, where like all the evil races, quote unquote, are secretly good, while um, it sounds like it's a bit more complex and overlord.
4: Yeah, right. I mean, I mean there's, there's definitely a, some of the evil. The evil races do not see themselves as evil, but they definitely, by any any of our measurements, w- mm-hmm. definitely do not follow a human code of ethics. Whereas you could say a lot of the um, orcs and uh, ogres and whatever in slime very much do follow a recognisably human code of ethics, which I don't think's true of a lot of the uh, the Species we meet in Over Overlord. I mean, every oh, no. time you like, every don't. time y'all talk about it, I get
0: more and more intrigued, and I'm looking forward to sometime in 2023 when I'm like, okay, I'm gonna watch Overlord now.
3: Yeah, yeah, like I'm, uh, I'm, like I'm doing, I'm very close to doing whatever the opposite of dead dubbing is. Because it sounds like, <laughs>
0: like you know, a live dub, just release pop. it out of your sleeves. Yeah. <laughs> it's like.
3: I get the sense that like I'm gonna watch it and come back and be like, guys, this is just fucking Goblin Slayer again. But like, it doesn't <laughs> sound like it is. I'm I'm curious. No,
1: it's it's not like it's not that at all. Well, Goblin Slayer is also a bit like, ah, uh, what's that word? Uh, I can't remember. When you're uh, trash, bad. <laughs> I I forgotten what I was saying. What was I
4: saying? Oh, Something about Goblin stuff. Slayer.
1: Oh yeah. yeah, it's not it's not as exploitative as Goblin Slayer. Uh, it's just it's like straight up just like an interesting story and it's good because as a plot points go as characters go like you you see characters who are introduced that you don't think will come back but they do and you know it's just like it's just well written I think is the biggest thing it's it's got good character motives it's driven by a lot of character decisions feel very logical and understandable and for those like quite boring reasons they are it makes it a, a very enjoyable show
0: Nah, man, that's that's my shit. Like, <laughs> characters who make sense doing like interesting things is what I come yeah. to anime for, and unfortunately, <laughs> I'm disappointed a lot. I think
1: you. Can you
4: one thing you like,
1: and it's a lot like it's lot like like side like like I said, there's just there's this one bit at the beginning where, um, <clears throat> he hands um this guy a potion as a way of apologizing, and it's this red potion, and to anyone, you're just like, oh, it's just a normal potion, whatever. But then to this guy, he was like, how did he get a potion this good? Which, again, harks back to Slime. Like, how did he get a potion this good? Um, but like, but instead of just them being like, well, we've just lost an amazing ally like they did in Slime with this one. It's like, you've got to find this person. You've got to follow him down. You've got to, like, interact with him, work out how he made this amazing potion. And so then that sort of started this whole other sub with him, like, going undercover and hiring him as a, like, a separate thing, which which like launches off the rest of another part of the show similarly like there's one character who he uses who he gives like a a whistle to that she can use at any time to protect herself against goblins which is like one of the first npc characters yeah. that she
4: sees it's, it's to protect herself with goblins not against yeah. goblins <laughs> sorry
1: with goblins and and then they come back to what you find out is that village that she used to be in and she's used that whistle Called some goblins and now they've got like a, a fence around and they're using the goblins to actually protect themselves and it's just like little things like that that are really fucking neat and really enjoyable.
4: I was gonna say the goblin before you go off the goblins. The goblin army was one of my favourite things from season three, even though it was terribly animated. I think me oh, and, God, me it and was John
2: really bad CG, but it was also fucking awesome.
4: Yeah, it was like some one of the some of the worst. Like season three overlord has some of the worst CG you will see. Yeah. Um, which but which it, worries me because it makes me think season four is
2: never going to happen. I wonder if it was but, just
4: like the the end of of what they budgeted for, and they were just running out of budget. Whereas season four, hopefully, it'll be a new project and better better budgeted. But yeah, the the it is great that they they do take. It's like what you were. There's saying. a lot of payoff with yeah. that,
2: and and like I think that there's a lot of payoff with a lot of the threads that that they start and that's i think what makes it so compelling for me is yeah. that it doesn't just start something and then throw it and away and they
4: don't always yeah. end up happy endings as well sometimes are yeah. they end up either being very uh bad endings for those involved or just complicating things and then taking a while to unravel and get things back to, are you to the
2: part where there's the butler dude Sebas?
1: oh yeah
4: what about him. Uh, he's so fucking good. I
2: love everything involving him and all the characters he meets. It, <laughs> it that stuff all pays off really well. I man,
1: yeah, I, I really Lord. like. <laughs> as a, also, I really like the 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 NPC characters. Sorry, the the player characters have really stupid name like Pedro pedoncino or something. And I really fucking love that every time they speak to those dumb names. Ah, uh, yeah, just like user they... handles with such reverie. It makes me laugh every time. Yeah. And, uh,
4: the what is it one of them has like a, a really complicated it's almost goth lolly name it's something like it's basically i think it's basically to the tier of
2: uh what's her fucking name something the the vampire from monogatari oh
0: lolly uh, heart kiss on oh, the shot no <laughs> <laughs> uh kiss jeff would you want to come in on this uh d- <laughs>
3: Oh, no, I'm I've just completely blank because I can't think of anything better than Lolly Heart, Kiss Undershot. <laughs> uh,
0: kiss Shot, Ariciola Orion, Heart Underblade. That's I know it because I hate it. <laughs> it's not that
2: extreme, but I, th- I think she has a similarly stupid, complicated name, if I remember correctly. It's, yeah.
0: Wait, is, is uh, Shinobu's name in Monogatari supposed to be like Chuni? I don't know why I didn't ever pick up on this. Is it okay. supposed to be like Chuni shit?
3: Probably. I mean, yeah. every vampire seems to have these ridiculous names. So yeah, I, 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 I still stand by my theory that every foreigner in Monogatari world has ridiculous names in the same way that every Japanese character has a ridiculous
1: Japanese name. Maybe, maybe we're finding out that Monogatari is actually an isekai, but told from an MPC. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, speaking of,
0: uh, <laughs> crossover isekais, <laughs>
3: Bang, bang, bang. Nice.
0: Someone <laughs> please help me with this transition. dog is just thinking I'm thinking the thinking like Isekai Quartet. Yeah, Isekai Quartet. Y'all suck. Come on. Isekai Quartet. Isekai <laughs> Quartet. Isekai Quartet.
2: Y'all heard of this show called Isekai Quartet. <laughs> another World Quartet. <laughs> <laughs> another. <laughs> yeah, but it's another,
4: another
1: world in another world quartet.
0: It's true. It's true. They take the Isekai and the Isekai it double isekai okay so so here's the challenge i'm posing y'all has anything substantive happened that you can actually like say something new about isekai quartet or is it going to be like 20 more minutes of it's really funny when x happens and y happens and i don't really have much it's just fucking funny
2: (laughs) i love the way that all the characters interact from all the like i I think i mentioned this before but tanya tanya the evil I i that was the only one i had not watched when this was announced and i watched it sort of because it was coming up and tanya the evil's really good and uh,
0: you're a Nazi now. It's not
2: even it's not even World War Two, so no. Um uh Konosu was really good, Overlord's really good, and ReZero's really good and they just do a really fucking good job of combining those characters into the same world and having them interact with each other.
0: And, yep, that's pretty much all I got. What have been the high points in the past, like, four or five episodes? That Yep. I think,
4: like, the, the fact that they, the beach episode was good, which is a rare thing, um, that, that they just had... Um... Beach
1: episodes are always good. Though, <laughs> yeah, what totally about another beach
4: episode? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's probably, like... Uh, so Demi- Demiurge and his, uh, her speedos was, like, the high point. Well, my high point was when they had a
2: brief flash of, uh, Kazuma doing his panty-stealing <laughs> animation. It doesn't show what happens, but he's doing it. And they're all wearing bikinis, so, you know, something's going wrong.
4: I like he's, st- like, he's, he's basically, the, the, the overriding thing is both Ains, um, Tanya, and, uh, Subaru, all want to get back to the other worlds they've they've been put in. And he's like, and... Th- no, Tanya doesn't. She She's like, oh, this is chill. I don't want to go back to my I, world. I world. thought,
1: she, I thought <laughs> yeah. she was like, hmm, I'm not sure, but I... It's I, really Aynes and Subaru who wants to go back.
2: Yeah, Kazuma is the, the Kazuma. lazy one who just doesn't want to... He wants to stay here because he's
4: having fun, and hi, that's hi, all hi. he really cares about.
1: Hey. Hi, Kazuma does.
4: Yeah, <laughs> and, and they make a big, big speech and he's like, well... I, that yeah. <laughs> the whole
2: class comes together like okay we're going to try to work because they, they start this competition they introduce another class which is also the same like, characters from the same series but different like the lower echelon Like, you know what I mean? The B-tier characters. characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're having this competition between the two because it's high school and you got to have a sports event at some point. And they said, the winners get to go home. So everybody in the class is like, all right, we're going to try really hard to get home. And Tanya's like, I don't really care about going home, but I refuse to not try my hardest in (laughs) battle. And Kazuma's like... (laughs) Uh, no, guys, I'm not even going to try. Fuck you. <laughs> it's, funny, it's, so funny. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's just really good. I don't know. I don't have anything deep to say about it because it's not a deep show. It, it is just genuinely hilarious. Is it just I, pure fan service find...
3: or does it have any, is it doing anything else? Is it just oh, for it's, fun?
2: I would say it's just pure fan service.
0: Is there is there lore? Is there like a, a meta plot? I mean, like. The, the, the lore is they all got sucked into this high school world where they have to
4: reminds me,
0: I, has has anyone actually reminds me has anyone seen like there's a couple of like super deformed spin-off comedy shows like has anyone seen Pucci Eva?
4: or Pucci Eva uh, no. the, uh the, Evan, the evangelion high school SD okay. show but there's there was a there's already been I think two super deformed spin-offs for um overlord which I and uh, they're both in the same animation s- style as this there was uh i think i mentioned before play play player d's which is the, the sort of they they have like a literal a squad of battle maids which is like the mm-hmm. the most japanese anime thing ever but um like the first season instead of uh the whole tomb of Nazareth is Transported to our world, and they're a, they're a company, and they're working, and like Ains is doing business deals <laughs> and stuff, and that's that was pretty good and fun. And the second one was, uh, is like a, a is in a spinoff entirely based around Clementine, which is the uh the girl who gets killed in at the end of season one, and just her sort Ooh. of waking up and going oh oh I survived oh thank God for that, and then get sort of. Bumbling around the world, randomly bumping into the rest of the uh the cast, getting into drinking contests and that. And th- those shows really nothing does happen. There is no uh, overarching plot apart from just taking the myth out of the tropes which exist in. Yeah, I mean um,
0: that's fairly common. Like 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 Sabagebu and uh, Chutukoi and all these like shows. Like it was very common, especially in the late two thousands and early twenty tens, to have like very cheaply done CG like chibi like comedy shorts to like pack on the blu-rays I or something I wonder
1: if that maybe also kicked off you know that uh, Rock Lee Senpai the weird oh, yeah, spin off that Naruto did I wonder if that all started it off part of that because there was also the Zero minis as well mm. there's also had... the
2: Fist of the North Star one yeah. yeah, where there oh, was yeah, just the never uh, <laughs> there was just never an
3: apocalypse, and it's just a bunch of like beefy dudes in the normal world. Yeah.
4: Do we yeah. class things like the um, uh, "aim for the top" uh, little chibi science explainers? I mean, I think that's the ancestor of them. Is
0: like these kind of like really like low rent animation like sh- shorts that they could yeah. use as promos or pack on DVDs yeah. and to like because oftentimes they use that to like encourage people to move to a new format when when dvds were coming out they're using that to get people to buy dvds like oh these ovas are only on dvd and they're like they're cheap and they're kind of shitty and like i like puchiva it's not very funny it's it's if you were like okay you've got to make a high school drama about the evangelion characters this is like the laziest and most by the numbers we're like gendo's the principal Hmm. is the assistant principal Misato's the teacher, she's always drunk. Uh uh Ritsuko's the nurse. Yeah, that's that, that's half that's like half yeah. the joke is like they kind of make references to like the Better High School in the real continuity. But like Eva 01 goes there and he's like he like has like the like the high-collared black jacket that's kind of like the the like the 40s banjo. or 50s era delinquent, yeah, and he's like got a straw of grass, and he like gets into fights with the angels which also go there. And it's... <laughs>
4: okay, I'm, always and, so I'm sold
0: on and this now. And all now, I think. and all three all three rays go there. <laughs> the, so like the child actually. one and the like Sorry. the adult one and the like broken up like always covered in bandages one. It's it's not it, it's entirely just like it's it's I would say it's Family guide tier level humor of like hey remember this thing from Evangelion? Oh, oh god, <laughs> actually not. Now here I'm unsold. <laughs> No, no, I mean like not not like the level, but not like what the content of the humor is, but just like, remember this thing? Here's a funny version of this thing. Remember the, the weird like alien with tel- to- the the angel with toilet paper arms that like shoot off and cut stuff? He's there, he's working in the cafeteria. Whatever.
3: <laughs> so are <laughs> they like it. still That's like it. sixty stories tall or are they just like people sized No, they're
0: they're they're normal human size. Although sometimes they're <laughs> sixty stories tall if the comedy's funnier that way. Um, but it's very it's not like there was the manga spin-off that was like, uh, that was like Shinji Kari Brilliant Days or something. That was like, what if the what if the apocalypse never happened? What if the third, the second impact never happened? And Shinji just goes to school with Ray and yeah. Asuka. But this is a lot more just like, what if we put the, <laughs> what if we took the funny parts of Evangelion and put them in a extremely cheaply animated CG like joke thing? I don't know.
1: Did you also I... watch the uh, Attack on High School one that they did? i've never the, even
0: watched attack on titan so no the, the, answer... where
1: the titans and the the other the humans went to the same school okay so first. it's it's
0: the same premise
1: yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much uh the first episode's all about one of the characters stealing uh like giant panties as a sort of like uh like you weird pervert you're stealing giant panties have you got a crush on this other giant and it's like one of the really ugly like crying baby ones It's funny
0: it's not so, yeah, Isekai Quartet, it seems impressive because it's, like, more than just, like, lazy jokes at the expense of, like, oh, you've seen this anime,
2: so... No, yeah, it's, be- like, it's- the comedy is very often Konosuba tier, like, it's just yeah, really fucking I funny.
4: I mean, the-, the only thing, to say, in terms of any sort of weight to it is that there is, like, an, a s- <clears throat> veneer of a theme that they've all sort of missed out on height, on actually having a like a childhood. They've all been forced to actually grow up and undergo things and and whether they liked it or not and that here no, they're actually being Ains,
1: given. Ains, Ains, <laughs> Ains and, uh, and whatever the the army girl, they're both businessmen.
4: Heynes isn't a, a business, wasn't a businessman. He was a salary a man who just played MRS. He was
2: like twenty or something, right?
4: No, he's yeah. he's. Uh, oh, actually, John, do you, do you remember when I told you about the actual world that Overlord, Overlord is set in? It's set in twenty one forty nine. Uh, that global warming <laughs> has caused a uh, basically a yeah. ongoing post apocalypse. There's mass unemployment, and he he doesn't work. He just lives at home, and, right, and yeah, yeah, is yeah. basically permanently plugged in in this huge <laughs> ghetto in Japan. And it's when, was like, this a, wait,
1: when was this released? The was, it, I'll I'll, I'll,
4: up, I'll upload the the image from the, uh, the it's from the back one, the mangas, which just basically explains the world. It uh, are you
1: sure this wasn't like a weird like joke thing? It could have been, for like, all I know.
4: But that's like, that's the explanation that he gives, and like we're never sort of given any actual shots of the world, and he actually comments that he hasn't really seen sunlight. Until he gets into the uh, world. So it's someone going from a, po- a near post-apocalypse collapsed uh, uh, but high-tech world to a, a... A terrifying one where,
0: like, capitalism's managed to cling onto <laughs> I uh, into existence.
1: I don't know how much I believe this, Tank. <laughs> <I'm don't, yeah. laughs> it could be right. I don't know. But it's,
4: <laughs> yeah. That's the thing about Overlord. It, it does have these weird little bits of detail which you go, oh that's weird it's it's not just that he's a neat he's just literally never seen sunshine because it's permanently covered in smog (laughs) It's like well
1: i mean as as a person like who like the other thing i have noticed about overlord is is it seems like that rpg is really involved because it seems like not only can you like have your own base but as a as a guild you can have your own base and then also have your own npcs that you can design and build and create and name and give and I'm just like wow this is a pretty advanced video game uh, I mean nothing give, like it we another, have now. give it another uh, Not that it...
4: 30 years and who knows yeah yeah who it knows?
1: Just sounds like Second anyway. Life <laughs> you, uh, yeah you're right it's just Second Life as a uh, it's just one of the weird servers of Second Life where it's just a Deep, like an
4: RPG and yet there's anyway. no
0: like naked fox people with massive boners walking around so well, is it yet. really second life
4: <laughs> the, the important question we need to ask it is: are there any half naked boar people
0: <laughs> that's a good transition Duncan you should be host yeah. uh <laughs> Someone has so, to try. So, so apparently multiple people on this podcast started watching Demon Slayer because they thought there would be a guy with a boar's head, and yep. he just appeared at the end of the season, <laughs> and John is so happy that he will not be able to speak for this entire conversation.
2: Uh, by the way, I just looked it up, Su- Suzuki Satoru was uh, the original Aion Zulu gown in the real world, and he was a salaryman, according to a few wikis I read.
0: Oh, Aww. wikis,
2: those are... Those are... Unimitable, oh, unimitable. but yeah, Boarhead guy. I forgot, the only reason I fucking watched the show is because I saw him and I was like, "That's a weird looking dude." And then he didn't show up for oh, what is it like forty fucking episodes? I mean, uh, 10, John, 10, you,
1: you, you come for Boarhead guy, you stay for the sister.
2: Eleventh episode is <laughs> God, when he finally showed up. I, I, will say, so I will bad say, I will say, I see comedy. the I see the girl with like the weird
1: scroll
0: in her mouth and like that that she's got a good design. I like that design.
1: It's a good design uh, yeah. weird. she actually is really she's, she's actually really well done like as a character she's very well done she actually uh is mega adorable in some cases it, it, uh, it
0: reminds me of uh uh e virus on karma burn like at one point was just like she probably hasn't taken a bath this whole this whole time the show's been going on, and I was like uh okay, never mind the, um... yeah, but
2: to
1: be fair, she hasn't been awake for two years, before. like there was a time gap where he's trained. And then she's yeah for
2: two years and then she murders a bunch of people yeah. or a bunch of demons I guess uh, but yeah she's she's really like she's really cute because like the 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 uh... The main character is like trainer, master guy. Put a spell on her that she would see all humans as family, so she's yeah. just protects them.
4: Like yeah, a, like, relentlessly. I and, and didn't like that at all. I thought that was actually like the first big okay. misstep. Well, I thought it was cool. Well, like it completely <laughs> takes any agency away from her. Instead of it being like this person who's resisting in the urge to do vampiric except things. except
2: then she also chooses to see the demons as humans. So
4: that you know she doesn't though she, I understand she what Duncan's
1: see... saying like, it, it's, it feels very much like a cop out for the writer to be like oh she's a demon but don't worry I, I hypnotised her actually it's just like it feels very much like a get out of jail card of like explaining away in a very lazy like authorial way to just escape any need
4: of course I she's going to protect them she sees them as her family but I, I, yeah and and it really stands out as bad because the the main hero himself actually one of his interesting Characteristics as as a as a lead is the fact he does seem to show empathy f- for the people he's he's beating yeah. in like he it's it's not quite an Assassin's Creed final moment where he goes over <laughs> and and put, where, and where closes like their, like, their uh, eyes and says oh speaking I'm, of Assassin's
2: I'm, Creed God that's my biggest problem with the show is all the fucking internal monologue with this dude. Like, it has really good animation of, like, his emotions on the screen, but then he, they also have to put on top of this, like, oh, I feel so sad right now. <laughs> Shut up. Thank you.
1: Okay. <laughs> heartless.
2: I'm not heartless, because they are doing a good job of conveying it visually. You don't need to hear his yeah, own monologue I, while it's happening.
1: Yeah,
0: I, my biggest peeve is when they when they sell something perfectly well, and then they're like, but our audience is stupid, so let's go ahead and just have him say it out loud, too. Right,
1: So it's really
0: frustrating. Anyway, by
3: having the the girl, uh, like, you know, see all people as humans is it just like an excuse to like it's like we want to figure out a way to have this girl with a weird bit fight demons and this is our way to do it or is there something else to I
4: it? mean the, the thing is like it's so hard to ask because they they, they give her a gag originally like so So this yeah. is like a, a muzzle almost so she doesn't bite anyone and then okay we've also because
1: hit. when you bite a human they turn that turns them into demons yeah.
4: Nope only if
2: you put the, your blood in them Yeah.
1: Oh, well, what, yeah a it's like, like family vampires also also if she Some eats vampires. blood blood is how she like yeah. has sustenance in it. Yeah. so he thinks that eating her eating blood ingesting blood will turn her even more crazy and uncontrollable yeah which is what happened at the beginning of the
4: show and like her having that that weird gag slash whatever is is like a an interesting visual weirdness to it which is but then they sort of un- i feel like they undermine that by going oh well actually it doesn't matter she wouldn't harm anyone she thinks them all as family it's like does it if, if someone actually isn't a threat to anyone and uh, do you, do people just go around wearing muzzles around their family no i don't think they do so it's, it's just, well, okay. well i guess my
3: question is really like is it just like lazy writing a convenient plot no. device or is there just like is there actually something to it so it's getting specifically,
2: to, so that she is willing to protect every human that she sees instead of <laughs> trying to attack them. That's it. That's all it is. Well, that's Lazy it, writing. It is, then it is explained in the fiction. Like it's a good thing. I, whatever. I don't care the anymore. Way, I'm not going to argue against when, the people. The other thing.
1: The other thing is, is the way that it was brought up. Is it, it like it was after a long training session where it, a training like montage and him and like her just resting and you hadn't you don't know much about the world and. You've had no interaction with any other characters apart from like three characters and then a spirit, uh, and you know when he comes back and he's just like, "Oh, by the way, I hypnotised her." Are you just like, "Well, you've never mentioned that there's hypnotism in this world?"
2: Okay, then fine, whatever. Why, why is that a th- like? Why is that a mark against it? The fact that they don't mention magic before that doesn't matter.
1: It doesn't matter. But the fact is is that they they've made it just be like a sort of blanket wash, like. Oh, yeah, she, she's fine now, don't worry. I mean, there it's are fucking
2: just... demons. Why why is magic... like Why is introducing magic after introducing demons a weird thing?
4: Because demons... Okay, so demons are like a weird uh, subversion of the world, and that's that's fine. You say, okay, there are demons, they exist in this way, these are the rules, so on and so forth. But then you just say... And it cuts a rock in half, a giant boulder, with a sword. Yeah. What I'm so... try, trying to say, though, John, is that magic powers don't matter, because they're about... Um, the actions people do, whereas the m- the mind control, the hypnotism, that actually affects a character's agency. That's about what they think, about how they act, and okay. that affects a, a story rather than just can they do a bust a move out and like. And that's not a bad thing at all. I, I, it's just like how can you see e- e mind washing someone as just like a yeah? We'll give them a pass. <laughs> It's all right.
2: Because it's a world with demons and magic. And so that so it... makes brainwashing someone morally okay? <laughs> I didn't say it was morally okay. I said it's good in the story.
3: So is there some kind of like race against time happening in the show? Like like cuz it sounds like they're 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 Oh, no, they're, no, no, they're, they're like, they're time, like brainwashing her and stuff. It's like to prevent her from eating people. and But also, that's how she gets sustenance. And they're, are they trying to like break the curse on her before she dies or uh, like turns more into a demon? Is there anything like that going on?
2: They no. explain it as like, instead of gaining strength from eating people, she gains strength from sleeping and recovering. It's just like, she's this weird exception. So
1: I don't even go. think it's a weird exception. I think it's the fact that they're never... Like, the amount of demons who aren't eating people are very Zero. limited. Well, well I
2: mean, until you find uh, <clears throat> the people.
1: Yeah, you find out there's about at least two or three. Um,
4: and even they actually, need no, that. You
1: find out there's like a mini, maybe like even a mini sub community of demons who are not eating people. Is sort of what I gathered from with the Doctor arc that just concluded. Mm. Um,
3: so are those things like man-made? Like, have they all been assisted by people to become that way? There's one or original.
2: It? There's one well, original demon. You don't know how he became a demon, and every other demon like can be traced back to him.
1: But I
3: mean, yeah. like the ones that aren't eating people, like the the ones who are good. Actually, oh, are
2: there right. like, There's yeah, only they, two they... that have not eaten people so far in the show? Yeah, they, they've one was one, they've got one got from is.
1: help from the doctor ladies. How we one is Nezuko,
2: them. and the other one, is, like the doctor's eaten people. She talks about it, and then she turned one person into a demon without killing him, and he I don't think has eaten people.
3: Just because he hasn't they, yet, or because he yeah. doesn't need
2: to. Uh, they still drink blood. They just don't eat. They don't kill people. Yeah, for I, th- it, I think oh, it, it's
4: a case of that she, for whatever reason, has a grows a conscience and and get decides to stop just do, killing people for her own sake. And, and
2: she f- she finds a way to break the spell on herself yeah. that compels her to do the things that her vampire daddy or granddaddy or whatever the fuck would want her to do.
1: Okay, uh, and then and then also she's done research to make it so that she only needs like these little pellets of like blood which is not even that much it's like ethically sourced um blood <laughs> uh <laughs> it's pretty much Free how trade. They, that, yeah how they how they marketed it where it's like it is human blood but it's gotten ethically and you don't need all of it like a bat a pint of blood will feed you for like two years or something like you just you just he mixed it with a bunch of other stuff and then you eat it you don't really see it to be fair mm. uh she's not in it for long enough
4: I mean, mm. the the thing about that their c their, their sort of exceptionalism both uh, Nezuko and uh, the the Doctor is that we're not given any understanding as to why uh, Nezuko has some resistance where most people don't. Like, so in the first episode, we are sh- shown that she resisted is she resists the urge to kill her, br- her brother. And holds back, and later on we—that's obviously artificially constrained—and I'll leave that bugbear behind now. But what we see, what it suggests then, is that there's some connection through Nesko's family, maybe back to the original va- vampire. Which, yeah, I don't really care about that.
1: <laughs> I am really enjoying it, but occasionally it rears like the occasional shonen trope, and I'm just like. Oh, yeah, I forget it's a jump anime. Like, when... (laughs) when like he finds he's got his katana and then it's the black coloured katana but nobody's lived long enough to know the secrets of the black katana and I'm like oh fuck it is a shonen anime isn't it <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah I, I think that's, that's a really good uh, description of, of the moments I, I haven't enjoyed as much as the moments yeah. I've just gone oh yeah yeah, it is a shonen it's like when he's call, <laughs> calling out the all the moves names one after another and it's like okay the first time you do it fine after that, just show me some cool animation and don't shout out the moves' names time and time again. The animation, again.
1: by the way, the, the animation of his moves I do really love. Like The way that it's such a stark contrast between the background and the world I think hmm. is really, really good. Yeah, they're really very strong. Uh, I really love it. Also, apparently the uh, animations... Because the other interesting thing is just like the fights, the animation of the fights are really dynamic and the camera sort of like really likes to sweep around the place which we've talked about before as either works or doesn't work um but apparently that was also because they did uh, the animation studio's ufo table which did fates and fates also has a lot of that okay. so they've sort of come from a strong uh background of good fighting animators uh and yeah I'm I'm enjoying the fighting scenes. I wasn't too happy with the last... I haven't watched the latest one, but the episode before last where they felt like they recapped the last three episodes again. Yeah, there was a bit. I was fun. like I was like, hmm, I don't know why don't know why you needed to do this. Like it felt a bit needless.
4: I tell you what was it was quite a surprise, despite its very as you it's very shown in the field a lot of the time. It did have some nice creepy mo- moments of horror. Like there's this mm. moment where the uh the main vampire sort of as John talked about earlier that they, they there's making someone a vampire is like a, a conscious choice for them to to put their blood into them and to to uh sort of start the change and we see him getting uh accosted by a group of thugs and uh ending up with him just like poking his finger into one of them and sort of overloading them with his is vampire blood so that they basically melt into this mess of, of stuff. And that was really grisly and not, yeah, not yeah, sort of they... what we'd seen so far.
1: Was... No, Yeah. And it was, in it was interesting as well. Also then you also get to like the, you get an idea of exactly kind of what period of Japan they're in. Cause mm, they yeah. have electricity, they have like concrete and sort of like working roads, which I wasn't expecting at all, uh, which was then really funny when, um, Angelo was just like, what the fuck is all of this? Yeah, uh, it was pretty good, pretty good moment. Yeah,
4: it's, um, it's interesting that as well that the that that the main vampire who we know to be hundreds of years old seems actually to dress and to integrate himself into the, the modern society far more than the demon slayers do. They still very much dress in a way from a, a an older p- a period, whereas he's mm. he's very much got his little mafia. Pinstripe suit, and... yeah.
2: Vampire daddy kind of looks like Michael
4: Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. yeah I feel that like that's very maybe purposeful
1: because of the samurai, because for start like the well, the demon slayers maybe for more samurai slash like like law enforcement, they always used to wear yukatas and swords, and that's how they used to look. So maybe, and then the modern suit is sort of more like a Italian mafia esque look. Mm. So maybe that's very purposeful. Uh, in their interpretation of good versus evil,
4: mm.
1: that makes sense.
4: It'll be interesting to see how they go at because they've obviously set it up with oh, there's a big, I think it's twelve of head demons who is, yeah. is, which is once again as you say very shonen and very
1: shonen, very video game
4: like collect me twelve blood samples <laughs> and I'll be able to heal your daughter, your sister. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> And yeah, it's, it's, we haven't actually got to see any of those yet, and because obviously oh. he's still, he, he, we still haven't had the full cast properly introduced until the recent episode where we get both Lightning Guy and Bore Guy, and who knows what's going on with those two? I fucking hate Lightning Guy. So what I is, is Bore Guy's die. deal? Like, who is he? Nobody. Like he just
2: shows up. Like he's literally there for thirty seconds, and episode ends. He has cool swords. Uh, They have a specific name. They're like jagged teeth. They are not the same swords as the demon hunters have, I don't
4: think. So... Uh, When he pops up, uh, he... The... Tanjiro specifically makes a comment about, oh, those are something-something swords. Is, right. is that the like, name of the... I assume that's
2: a specific name for the weird jagged teeth. but I, I may be wrong. I don't know. It doesn't
4: matter. I thought that was the uh, name me. of uh, the, the special kind of swords he and the other guy know. have. Uh, we'll we'll uh, know by next episode anyway. Yeah,
1: because um, yeah, isn't, isn't there like a sword maker who makes heavy, yeah. heavy swords uniquely? Yes. So maybe that's just the way he designed his sword.
4: I don't know.
2: He has cool jagged teeth sword and he shows up and yells, I'm going to kill you. And then he starts running at the demon and then the episode stuff? ends. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kill you. We're going to
2: take your sister. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, he's cool. He's a, uh, he has a boar
4: head. He has no shirt. Right. Yep. He, <laughs> he's, he's the full package. He's very yeah. much like just the typical hyper enthusiastic. Um, I'm gonna do everything on my own and get fame that way. And yeah, I'm sure that's what he'll be. And then the fucking stupid ass coward guy who
2: just screams about how he's gonna die for literally an entire episode. I yeah, mean, it, it it so was so annoying. Obnoxious.
1: It's mostly like the only thing I can, the only time I can think of something that's done so cowardly like that is Usopp, but I haven't seen this guy, so I don't know. Uh,
2: he, he He's introduced by begging a random passerby lady to marry him because she helped him while he was sitting yeah. on the side of the road, and he's just screaming, please marry me, I'm gonna die, marry uh, me. I, ah. thought that was, I thought that was funny. Mm.
4: <laughs> that made mm. me laugh on that ending prequel, that ending bit.
2: It's funny for like 10 seconds, and then he does it for an entire fucking yeah. episode.
4: Like, there's, I'm not sure... You you both have watched um, Back No Right Yeah yeah, uh-huh. yeah Do you remember Jacuzzi Nope Yeah Jacuzzi's plot Yeah, yeah.
1: Best, he, he's... he's got a sword on his head as a
4: Does he star. Yeah as a scar Yeah, yeah. And and he's always yeah, like he's crying great. and and doesn't want to do anything but ends up sort of of but ba- like a badass, all the same, and I, that's—I don't know if they're gonna go like have him fighting while crying, or if it's gonna be of like. Of course they are.
1: Like... <laughs> <laughs> I I think that I I mean I like jacuzzi. If it's more jacuzzi splot I quite like jacuzzi splot um, Mostly because just saying jacuzzi splot is really satisfying. I
0: hate everything.
1: <laughs> uh, well. Bit...
0: I was going to have a good transition before well, but
1: more words that are very appealing to say a lot of times is aggretsuko. <laughs> <laughs>
0: do you mean aggressive retsuko?
1: Aggressive retsuko or aggretsuko? Uh yeah, season 2. Jeff, you
0: listened to the old episodes and heard my plea for someone else to watch this, didn't you? I did. <laughs> I
3: saw I, well, I saw it pop up on Netflix and there's like a like a 15 minute period in my in my evening where It's like, I got nothing better to do for exactly 15 minutes. And hey, that show is exactly 15 minutes long. And (laughs) so I just started picking it up again, and it's still pretty good. It's about the uh, much put upon office girl trying to make her way through life in a disappointing career, being abused by her boss and just generally dealing poorly with the stresses of life and Mm -hmm. her sort of getting it together, but not all the way and just kind of dealing with it. Get it, getting to medium, which is all we can really expect yeah, I mean, <laughs> for these I was, days.
0: I was watching so you've watched all the way through like the first third ish of the second season, which just came out. Yeah. And I've I just watched the first four episodes this morning, so so yeah, but like I was talking to someone else who's watching it with me that like it is a show about survival. Like it's not about mm-hmm. not about happy endings or fixing things. Yeah, it's about it, it in in it's uh framing as a show about like primarily about having jobs and trying to find relationships. And you have this job that dominates your life. It's a show about making it through the eight hours so that you can go home mm-hmm. and like have a few, a few minutes of, of time to yourself to be your own person before you go back and go right into the shit that has you feeling so miserable. Yeah, but um, yeah. yeah. So I assume the humor worked for you.
3: But the humor. I mean, the humor worked pretty well for me. Like uh, the, I, I had started with the the uh, the shorts um, before mm-hmm. the, the before the series had come out on Netflix. I had seen a bunch of them. And they were just kind of like, you know, it's just kind of like Dilbert, but with Hello Kitty characters. Because everybody's like a Sanrio little, like, cute animal character.
1: Yeah, because
3: they're from, San Rio. Yeah, they're uh, from San San Rio. Sanrio. <laughs> yeah, because
1: they're
3: from Sanrio. It is Sanrio. Yeah. And it's just like, you know... Resco is you know at her office and her boss is like make me tea and then he doesn't say thank you and so she goes fuck you and that's the end of this at at the end of the the show because they're like a minute long and they had to like sort of pad that out to be you know a proper you know half-length running show but a lot of what they added was sort of like you know an internal consistency and like dimensions to characters so they're not just you know punchlines and they're not just like delivery mechanisms for stress and uh unhappiness in Doretzko's life, but they also aren't, you know, not that. And, you know, and so, <laughs> you know, every everybody contains multitudes and it 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 is a very sort of like relatable like world that they've created where like things are like, you know, everybody is just kind of like surviving and the people who are seem to be thriving are the people who have just kind of like made peace with the fact that everything sucks and Mm -hmm. you can just like get by with uh what you can like her boss like director tom who is this like big angry pig man and just like treats her like garbage and you just sort of like you know you get a peek under the under the covers and it, it turns out that you know he is just He had come up in a similar environment and he just kind of expects everybody else to be like that. And anybody who looks like they might not be like that, he wants to make it like himself because that's how he lives with himself.
0: Right. Yeah, it's it's he sees it as inevitable that you become like abusive and discriminatory and exploitative Mm -hmm. uh, to people. And like, yeah, like he like he thinks this is just the way the world works. And there's like almost kind of a weird mentorship in his like ubiquitous abuse of Agretzko down to like just calling her a short timer because he thinks she's going to drop out of the workforce and become a become a get her MRS so to speak like any day now mm-hmm. so yeah I don't know like it's it's very weird because the show does not build empathy among its characters beyond like Agretzko and the people who are nice to her but it also you still like, like all the characters are recognizable archetypes and they're all like rendered fully where, yeah, you don't, you don't feel sorry for, uh, director Ton and his, you know, just clearly awful toxin filled personality. But at the same time, you like, you know why he's doing what he's doing. It's just not a good thing. So I just
1: don't, yeah, But there's no redeeming. Like the, so the thing is, is that like, I, I worry that people view that episode as sort of like a way of redeeming Ton's on Chan's character. I'm like, he's not a redeeming character. He's no. A piece of no. no, 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 like, no. Un- uh... he's, un- he's
0: an understandable character, not a, rede- not a redeemable character. Mm. I think yeah. It's yeah. A yeah. Like, he isn't
3: just like a mustache twirling monster. Like he, you know, there's a reason for him to be the way he is, but that doesn't mean he isn't bad. Like it, he is like, you know, he, he presents, you know, a very real risk to Retzko's future of, you know, you know, literally in the short term, but also like, you know, symbolically in the future, you know, what she could be become. And in the second season, he puts her in charge of training this new hire who is like he's grossly incompetent, but also has like a gigantic victim complex. And he is basically just trying to build a case against Retzko to protect himself. Against and, anybody,
0: really, because yeah. he goes after Haida after Haida tries to like intervene because Haida with his poor be- beleaguered crush on, <laughs> on Retzko, like tries to like come in with is it, is it Anai? Or whatever, yeah. Um, but comes uh, in no, and he's like, yeah. and he's like, hey, like you should help Retko because like she's doing it on her own and like it's you know two, work two people working on something's better than one. Um, and he's like, okay, and then he sends him one of his like weird long abusive text messages about how like on on June fourth at you know twelve <laughs> thirty p.m. you said blah blah yeah, and so he just seems to be yeah like permanent victim complex nothing's ever his fault he's not he has no skills because clearly he's never bothered to learn anything it's just he's not good at something right away or if someone ever says something negative to him he he reacts which, by attacking them so which is
1: interesting because it feels like maybe this is like th- again the great thing about season two is they've introduced a new character and uh they've based him again off of sort of like very heavy world tropes because this feels very much like sort of twitter like And correct me if you think I'm wrong, but just sort of like Twitter, like people who just constantly feel attacked, or, or say that they feel attacked, like at everything. And well, they claim that they claim
0: that it's like part of a in the show they claim that it's part of like a a mounting like presence. Yeah, it's a generational break where people don't believe that they can do something wrong. So,
1: which is interesting that they've even got like I don't know how they. And it it just I think harks to their clever writing, and that I haven't seen a character like this before in a show. I think, mm-hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but like certainly an archetype like this, to my knowledge, hasn't existed. I mean, and I thought it was really and well like, done. This character, like, like... A, he's a scary character. Like, he's mm-hmm. scary. Like the way that he abuses his power of sort of like fact, 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 and then just instead of complaining to someone or like talking to them, just going straight to an authoritarian body. Uh, is is a scary character to deal with, and it's something yeah. that I think it's it's good. Like I really love that they've added this can character I... in that I thought they I didn't think that was a other angle that they could have
4: done. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Does ahead, the phrase can. Jobsworth suit him? I don't know what that means. Oh, is is that not something which is transferred? I know. I know. It, I know it's a,
0: it's a lot more common in in. Uh, like, I can't do that. It's more th- he he is some of that. He does talk a lot about how, like, how this is his job description and he can't do more than his job description. But also, like, any, any feedback that is not congratulating him is taken as a, like, libelous attack on his person. So okay. it's more than just being a job's worth. He's also, like, extremely, like, hostile and fragile and unable to look outside himself where he just, like— he literally, he literally sends, like, dozens of messages to Gretzko, like, threatening her if she doesn't, like, submit a formal written apology to him by Friday morning about yeah. having said, like, like, as an adult, you've got to be able to answer the phone properly. When he picks up the phone and just screams at them, like, hello, this is awry and and then hangs up on them immediately. And yeah. she's like, you, you can't do that. You got you to gotta know how to answer phones. And he's like, this is an attack on my person to say that I'm not an adult and I can't answer a phone. So... It's mm-hmm. it's definitely attacking different angles of like, okay. kind of learned helplessness among college graduates, and it does definitely seems to think that like college is mostly useless for helping people prepare for the workforce, which is fair. I don't yeah. know. And then going but back
3: to uh, Ton, like he actually does well, like the, the the Kohai and I sends a complaint to their boss, yeah. and he brings her aside and says, congratulations, you got your first power abuse <laughs> complaint. And it's like, he's, you know, he's mocking her, but he's also, like, congratulating her. Like, he, this is clearly what he wants her to be doing. Like, yeah. he had told her explicitly, like, you know, crush his spirit because that's what this new generation needs. And he's, like, sort of sadistically proud of her because, you know, the whole, you know, a lot of the first season was her pushing back against the idea that, like, ton was her future,
0: uh-huh. And her yeah.
3: like desperately finding a way out of that, and then you know being put in this situation, and you know it it seeming like an inevitability.
4: Mm.
1: And, and I yeah, and I also just thought that that payoff was mm. really fucking good. Like that made me laugh so hard when he was just like, "Congratulations, you got your first power harassment suit." Yeah. It's just like it's just like that other thing where it's just like, sure, he's like a new guy who's trying to like who's being really manipulative, but then also. The powers that be are manipulative, back by just not giving a fuck, and mm-hmm. I thought that, that was really, really funny. Uh, but you know, also then putting more angst and uh, anxiety on Agatoko. Uh, mm-hmm. I love, I love it, and also just I love how season two they still continue with like a lot of the characters. Like he, she still has her two groups of friends, who she's really cemented themselves with, and they really accept and understand her, especially mm-hmm. like Gotti and the flamenco, the presidents, uh, yeah, the secretary. Was she the egret? The egret. Yeah, is she not a secretary
4: bird? I thought that was the joke. Pretty a secretary bird. bird. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> and like, I love their, uh, I love their, like their constant playing and like they're they're wanting to go on a bus like a tour and then I just think I think that's really great how the show has changed from sort of like you're talking about the humor base of it. The show feels to me very much like it's changed from like, oh god, isn't this awkward? like political or like office based comedy humor where you can totally relate to this thing to like actual character based humor and stuff based on their characters and interactions i think that's interesting
0: yeah i mean like i was watching it uh with someone who had who wasn't aware of the show at all and her her response was like this this isn't really funny cuz it's just true like this is just how <laughs> like like <laughs> harassment and depression and like isolation under like wage slave capitalism, like how it happens. It really is. It's a bit too real for some people, I think.
1: <laughs> it, is, it is very real. And I, I think that's, I think it actually plays to its strengths a lot of when it's not funny. It's just very real. And not everything has to have a joke, like like a punchline. Uh, some stuff just has to, you can easily reflect on very well. Yeah. And that it's was good.
3: one thing that I appreciated the, you know, bringing that to it instead of it just being like, you know cute animal Dilbert like the shorts were and like Dilbert the animated series was where you they just like embrace the nihilism rather than rather than like trying to like find a human experience in there
0: I don't disagree but I do like the weird like isolationism isolation and one offness ness of of uh, the shorts where it's just like because that's often how it feels when like bad things happen to you in your life, it's just like, it comes out of nowhere and ruins your day and it's gone. Mm-hmm. And that sort of thing with, a uh, with a Gretzko where like, we just get like the contained and ice thing of like having her friend, the deer, like completely show her up on social media and embarrass her or have, you know, have to go, uh, just drink alone on Christmas because she doesn't have any friends or family to hang out with, let alone a lover. So I mean, and speaking of to kind of provide a sort of soft jumping off point for our discussion topic in the next half. Also, the interesting thing about this season is that her mom is a major character and is terrible, <laughs> like really, <laughs> like really difficult to handle. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
3: trying to marry her off.
0: Yeah. Well, just like breaking into her house ha- like, because the the scene where she thinks someone's broken into her house after her mom has sent this like very ominous like series of uh, phone calls about how like oh yeah someone was robbed in your area and the guy just broke into this young woman's house and was waiting for her when she got back and and so she comes home and she sees her doors open and someone's in moving around like rustling on stuff and she freaks out and like finds a traffic cone and then finds a metal pipe and then finds a pipe wrench to like go in and confront the person after she's called the police and it's her mom who has gotten a duplicate key and has come in and is vacuuming and cleaning her house and then sits down immediately to talk about how you need to get married now. Like eventually your skin will start looking bad and you'll never get a husband. And it's just like, ugh. that was also my, (laughs) the person I was watching it with was very affected by like, the like, so when you're getting married, are you eating enough? Are you eating well? Have you, you know, do you take care of yourself? Do you sleep enough? Hey, should you talk to that person at work who's being mean to you? Like, leave me alone, mom. I'm fine, (laughs) please.
1: And I love, I love them just, yeah. Like I actually thought with that beginning introduction, that bit that you mentioned where she like, Got a cone and then a pipe, la la la. Like I thought that was actually pretty um bad. I didn't think that was that funny. I didn't think the payoff was that good either. Like obviously it wasn't. You knew it wasn't going to be the thief, but like I just thought that the payoff for that joke kind of fell flat. But I can't complain because I think the mother. Well, it's, character... it's because it's because
0: her mom's a terror in her life. Like her mom, like her the mom the, is the, a the reveal is that is is that it's not a thief. It's worse. It's her mom who's come to. <laughs> And then she like, the mom leaves uh, Onigiri for her to eat. And she's like, oh, I should thank her when I get home. And then she comes home, her mom's back again. And she's <laughs> trying to get her this like arranged marriage, which I think the best part of the first four episodes is when like, she's like, did you, how'd you meet dad? And she's like, oh no, we were like, our families were that, against us. And <laughs> yeah,
3: we were fated lovers.
0: And she was like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. I'm excited to see where it's going to go. Um, Yeah. It's also interesting because, sorry, the first episode of season two, she was really happy with her life. Like, it's, it's, she comes, like, the end of season one, it feels like she's at least not, if not happy, she's at least content. Mm -hmm. And then it starts off, like, again, her being content. And then it's just like, they keep, they bring back something in a good way to, bring more contention and, right uh, new,
0: new guy at work uh mom starts f- fucking with her but she is getting a driver's license and she is falling is. for the like the neat who is also like getting a driver's license as an excuse to fill up his days so that's going to be interesting the episode titles get increasingly ominous as we go further <laughs> on in the in the show's run
3: yeah, and well, the, the whole reason that mm. she's taking getting her driver's license is because it's an excuse not to go out with these guys, and she constantly has this refrain of she wants to run away, far away, far, far away. <laughs> and so, you know, and you know, her getting involved with the neat, you know, as a part of that experience sounds like you know,
0: you know, a, a piece of the whole there. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we will see. I'm excited to come back to this. I I like Gretsko. I mm-hmm. I one of the most pleasant discoveries of the past couple of years is that like. Sanrio has, like, a bit of teeth to it. I didn't think that that was, like, growing up and seeing, like, mm. like, Hello Kitty and, like, all the other, like, cutesy animals. I was like, oh, so they just, like, you know, cutesy stationary. But the fact that, like, between Show by Rock and Aggretsuko, like, they're able to do some stuff that's kind of mean and kind of real. And just, I think, a <laughs> great... Sanrio Aggrets- Boys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Your favorite, <laughs> your favorite show, anime,
1: Andy. Andy May. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, can I quickly just mention, uh, talking about... Sanrio <clears throat> I finished the uh, to Kaoru and uh, the last second to last episode had them doing a recap of like how she met Relacama which felt entirely pointless and then the second episode was that they left and it was just weird and sort of very passive and like <laughs> very like hey everything's going to happen it's going to happen at some point you left but you're leaving for other things and it felt very anti agretsuko but then also felt like just wasn't as good as a Gretchko, which is a shame. But mm-hmm. yeah, I wanted to wrap that up because I was did, thinking did, about that.
4: Did they ever answer the question of why he has a zip in the back?
1: No, because <laughs> it's cute. Fair enough. <laughs> they do call it a kig- a kigurumi, which is sort of like a what they call literally like the costume that <clears throat> people wear when they like when they're in the mascot costumes. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's a person. Underneath that. Okay, that's. He's not
3: explicitly a furry.
1: No. Uh, it's just a cute bear thing. I did enjoy it. I just don't think now we've got a season two. I just don't think it compares. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay, well, using the themes of family and the second season of a as a jumping off point, let's take a break and then come back to talk about themes and motifs of family in anime. And we're back. For the second half of our podcast, we'll be talking about family in anime. And that does not necessarily mean anime with the name family in the title, although, well, who knows? We have different people on this podcast.
1: Do you maybe want to explain the format of the new sure, segments? Sure, that makes sense. Uh, so yeah, we dive straight in.
0: So we've been having issues with being able to pound through what are increasingly long anime uh, in two weeks to be able to have them in our spotlights and also people have been frustrated about not being able to talk about what they want to talk about uh, when it comes to the sort of themes being brought up with these spotlights so at least for the next you know dozen podcasts more less who knows we're going to be uh we have a big giant excel spreadsheet of tropes themes motifs in anime that we'll be using as a jumping off point for the things that we're interested in talking about the common threads between anime that maybe we haven't watched recently and don't resemble anything that we've watched recently, but are in our heads. Like there's no real reason that John's going to bring up dragon ball Z in the average case of the, what you watch in the spotlights. So these themes will be able to let, you know, him bring up how vegeta has got a sweet mustache or whatever. And yeah, that's the idea for this. That's not even in Dragon Ball Z, that's in Dragon Ball GT. They're all Dragon Ball Z to me. It should be Dragon Ball, if nothing else. (laughs) So anyway, it's Father's Day when we're recording this. It's going to be a week after Father's Day when you're listening to this. Jeff, you had something to say about fathers in anime specifically? Oh
3: yeah. Yeah, when this topic got brought up, I immediately drifted over to dads in anime just because it's Father's Day. And I was trying to think of my top five dads in anime and i couldn't think of top of five good dads but i was able to think of five bad dads in anime and so that's that's what i would like to talk about
0: (laughs) uh do you want to do it you know from five to one sort of a countdown bottom
3: five anime dads uh so number five uh saotome gendo from ranma one half uh was one of the first animes that i ever watched like i was actually in sort of a an anime cooperative in the 90s pooling our meager funds to buy VHS tapes. And Gendo is Ranma's dad. He is the reason that Ranma, the titular Ranma one half, has the, the curse that turns him into a, a girl when he gets splashed with cold water. And the whole... And Gendo himself also has a a curse where he turns into a panda. And there's just like a recurring gag throughout the show where he's, he's dead set on like you know, training his son to be the greatest martial artist of all time. But anytime things start getting bad, he'll just sort of turn into a panda and like wander off and like eat bamboo. Like he doesn't have anything to do with anything. And he's constantly getting called out about that. And it's a, it's a pretty good gag. Uh, Number four is, uh, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa.
0: We can talk about it.
1: Also, also I have interest, like, when you say the five, does that make him the worst of the worst dads or the best of the worst dads? Uh,
3: so, so, so the format of bottom five, so, 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 if I said number one, bad dad, I would, it's, it, he is the, the worst. worst. So
0: this he's number five worst. is right. like, okay. and yeah, I'm he's... just going to say like, I think, uh, Rumiko Takahashi is kind of obsessed with like oblivious parents. Cause in, uh, Ursa Yatsura, um, uh, both of Ataru's parents hate him and wish he hadn't been born. And the dad, the dad is kind of long. The mom literally says like, "If only I'd never had him, or if only I'd had a miscarriage," which is rough stuff to say in,
1: Whoa, in like late late
0: eighties, early nineties anime. Um, she, yeah, she hates him, and like the only good thing about him is that he might possibly marry Loom someday. Um, but who knows? But the dad is just very oblivious and is always like, always wearing the sort of like house kimono that like mid century like, Japanese salaryman had, because I think that's what he is. yeah,
1: the chanchanko. Yeah, and always, like... dig him.
0: But he always was, like, hiding behind the newspaper and, like, refusing to engage with stuff while the mom is like, Ataru, you're kicked out of the house until you stop being a shithead. And then, of course, at the end of the episode, they reset. So I wonder if Rumiko takahashi has got some baggage or if just, like, Bad Parents was in vogue in the 80s. (laughs) It was the (laughs) 80s after all, so maybe.
1: I mean, I just feel that bad dads are sort of in vogue for, like, that type of, like, Comic strip type style yeah. comedy. I mean, a loving like... a
0: loving family is not very funny.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although,
0: like, to, a similar household dynamic, but like played differently, is in Karikano, where like the dad is kind of like negligent and avoidant, but is still like goofy and loving deep down. But I think, I don't think Rumiko Taka, she's interested in that level of subtlety or depth. Just bad people, good people, funny people. <laughs> Anyway, number four.
3: Number four, uh, Yasuo Iwakura. Uh, that is Lane's dad from Serial Experiments Lane. Uh, he, you know, he actually was, like, started off on my list of top five dads because <laughs> he was like, you know, he's, you know, he wants to be involved in his daughter's life and get her, you know, interested in things he's interested in. And, but then I remember that, oh, yeah, he also just kind of watched her descend into this, like, cyberspace hell world. And, you know, you also realize that he's... Sort of like that. I I can't even remember what the dynamic of that show was. If he was really her dad, or if he was like he if he knew it was a sham, or if he was reprogrammed, or what was going on. But like that that those like awkward, tense moments of being you know at the family table and everybody is just avoiding each other's eye line and you know the only times that he ever really seemed to be interested in was when she was interested in what he was interested in and that was the only time he really came alive is what you know when his computer posted and he like let out that weird yelp and, <laughs> and the weird laugh
0: like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good nintendo villain laugh <laughs> yeah it's not really clear whether he's like actually a dad of some part of her or if he's an actor being paid or if he's been reprogrammed or yeah it's he's very strange He does look a lot like a dad though I mean I think Mm -hmm. that those aviator glasses are just peak
4: dad he does have a daughter who uh, gets her mind destroyed (laughs) yeah and like he's completely negligent of her, she, he has absolutely no interest in her. She, she's like, Dad. She has like a conversation with him, and like, isn't something strange going on? And then both her and the mom are like, oh no, nah. And it's not even that they they just don't not interested in what she's saying. She's just not important to them for whatever reason. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, number three,
3: bad, bad. bad yeah. dad. <laughs> Uh Goku from Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the first season of Dragon Ball Z, he you know, he's got a kid, he's got uh Chi Chi, his wife. She, that's the right that's her name, right? Chi Chi?
1: Yeah, Chi Chi.
3: Yeah. Um and then he gets killed off in like the first three episodes of that series. And it's a you know, it's a recurring thing in Dragon Ball. Somebody gets killed, they go to the afterlife, they go to King Kai's little planet and they train. But
2: I will say, to be fair, he got killed off protecting his son
1: yeah but also, also it's kind of a it's kind of a bad bad dad move to be like hey son you don't know what you're doing but i'm going to put this very precious ball on top of your head no one's going to come and grab it i promise <laughs> kind of bad <laughs> sorry carry on yeah
3: and then you know he comes back and it just kind of like repeats this cycle of you know I, the only thing Goku cares about is fighting and training and getting stronger, you know, even though he's got, you know, his family and then, you know, as Gohan grows up, he tries to like lead this dual life of like, you know, I'm, you know I'll am have, I'll, you know, I'll create a, a superhero persona to like do my fighting and stuff and still have a normal life. Whereas Goku never like even bothered to try. And, you know, it's also revealed in Super as, you know, kind of a joke. Wait a minute, like, you know, Goku doesn't know what kissing is. And you're just like going backwards through time, realizing, you know, the implications of what this would mean for (laughs) everything else around him of like how how small his world is. And yet, you know, also, you know, still having a family and everything else like, you know, bad, negligent dad in my books. John, do you have anything to say about that?
2: He's bad. (laughs) (laughs) In, in Dragon Ball Super, he also, like, the first episode, he's, it, he's like, he's like driving a tractor around, or I guess he runs a farm now, or whatever. Um, yeah, show sure, why yeah, not? or whatever. Uh, his kid, his other kid, Goten, shows up, who, by the way, at the end of Z, he finally meets after many years of being dead. Uh, and Goten's fucking terrified of him, because he's Goku, and he's a fucking superhuman sociopath. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, at the beginning of uh, Super, he uh, Goten shows up and he's like, "Hey, Goten, just drive this tractor around for a while while I train." And and then, of course, Goten almost drives it off of a fucking cliff. Uh, He's really good, uh, Dad. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Like Piccolo's a better dad.
0: Can can you can you rank the dads of Dragon Ball Z or Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Super or Dragon Ball GT? Uh, Piccolo, Vegeta, Goku. Oh no, sorry, Piccolo, Hmm. Krillin, Piccolo, Vegeta, Goku.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Those are all the dads, I think. <laughs> well, unless you count Ox King, in which case, he, well, he's probably at the bottom because he let Chi Chi marry Goku. <laughs> <laughs> That's it.
1: Yeah. I like how a main protagonist in the first season just turned out to be completely like uh, irresponsible and a fucking wastrel.
2: Uh, I mean, he was always like that, right? He just his entire motivation for the entire for for the original Dragon Ball was. I just want to go around and fight people and get stronger. And so that's what he did. Also, he is incredibly ignorant because he was raised out in the country by an old man and never met other people until his, his adopted grandfather died. So. Pretty
1: bad. Pretty bad, yeah. Dad. Yeah. yeah. That's it.
2: Yep. That's all I got about Goku. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> number two.
3: Uh, number two. Uh, this is Sho Tucker, a.k.a. Nina Tucker's dad from Full Metal Alchemist. Shh. Uh, <laughs> n- now we're into just, like, straight-up villainous monster dads because uh, he turns his daughter and dog into a hybrid monster and then kills her. <laughs> and, and it's just it's horrifying. And it's, that was, that, that's a, a show that had, like, wild swings in tone. Yeah. You know, even yeah. within an episode. But, like, that was probably, like, one of the darkest moments of anime.
0: Are you thinking about Full Metal Alchemist or Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood? Because I think there's, like, slight depiction differences in the different ones.
3: I've only seen Alchemist. I've never seen Brotherhood. Brotherhood's better. I mean, it's not... Mm, I mean, what? I believe what? you, but it's right. also, like, 50 episodes long.
0: I thought you were on my side and, and like the original I better. like the tone of the original better, but in terms of, like, telling a story that, like, has a beginning, middle, right. and end, Brotherhood is better because it uh, knows what its ending know, is when it starts filming. <laughs> and so they can actually, but. like, lay the groundwork. And speaking of bad dads, like... Me like uh the the protagonist's dad is really bad also yeah.
4: like not H- Yeah, is It's just like a the the absent shonen dad who runs off sets everything in motion and then buggers off and also is, like kind of lucifer like not really
0: but
3: <laughs> yeah and yeah my number one bad dad is Akari Gendo which is a basic as hell choice but like who else could you possibly choose the uh the the bad dad of Evangelion who turns his wife into a big robot and puts his son inside and then turns his wife also into a weird daughter and... Uh, just also,
0: also into a penguin.
3: Ruining the entire Earth to, like, try and recapture his own history and past and just screwing everyone else in
4: the in the pursuit of doing that. It's just a classic bad dad move. Yeah. Do you think that's, like, an, an actually interesting take? Like, this this dad who's, like... Sees their the, their kid as something which has like destroyed their the the life they had before. Like it's almost like the the regret the, this bachelor who regrets this this the fact that he had a kid and cur- curtailed his his youthful hijinks where he he could do what he wanted, and now he's he doesn't want any sort of responsibility towards this kid. He just wants to do what he wants for him. Well, he he claims that he doesn't that he doesn't he sent uh,
0: Shinji away. Because, like, literally anything reminding him of uh, Yui was too painful. Um, mm-hmm. And then when Shinji's like, why'd you invite me back after, like, not being in my life for five or six years and saying you never wanted to see me again? And Gendo's like, well, I needed you now. Yeah, um,
3: I found a use for you. Okay. And yeah, it is,
0: but then again, You we, drive
3: this big robot that's made of your mom.
0: But then again, we, like, <laughs> when he takes her out to the, in the rebuilds, when he takes Shinji out to the graveyard and, what? um... And Shinji's like, oh, her grave's here. And Gino's like, no, her body's gone. It was destroyed. And I burned all of her things. She lives in my heart now. And Shinji's like, Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and then Gino just like. And Gino's just like, I'm leaving now. And like gets in the plane and flies off. And he's like, sorry, Shinji. He's almost comically a bad dad, but he's but like in the flashback we get with his history with Futsky and the in like the immediately post-second impact world, we we see that like he if we call, if we're calling anyone a sociopath i think that gendo probably has like the closest approximation to actual sociopathy where like he has to try really hard to care about people as something more than just tools for him to use and he fails mm. and doesn't really care and
4: yeah yeah that's that's definitely a trope you see in other things the person who lost the one person they cared about and therefore went off the deep end like yeah and in a show about
3: breaking down barriers between people you know there isn't there's barely anybody else in the world according to akari gendo other than akari gendo Mm -hmm. and so his version of instrumentality was just do the one thing that i want to do and fuck everyone else (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's not it's
4: not wrong
0: (laughs)
3: yeah that's my nice depressing list of top five worst dads in anime
0: it escalated kind of quickly i feel like from just kind of like vaguely negligent father to like makes a homunculus out of his daughter (laughs) to like causes the third impact to get back with his wife because
4: well comically escalate comic escalation is the the key of comedy Mm. It's it's interesting that like may, maybe best dad in anime is is also in Full Metal Alchemist in which is Mace Hughes who. <laughs> I
1: don't know, like fucking the guy, the dad from Before Blue Exorcist. He's pretty badass. He's sat in with a shotgun. It's fucking <laughs> fucking awesome. <laughs> You were determined to jam stuff. that
4: one in there, weren't
0: you, Andy? Yeah. <laughs> it's not It's not our podcast if Andy doesn't bring in Blue Exorcist. All
3: right, so wh- how else do family make you all feel?
4: Well, I think I was going to uh, talk about uh, my favourite anime, which is almost exclusively concerned with family, which is strangely enough, the eccentric family. So what else would it be concerned with, with a title like that? And it's a great show because it's one of the things i i've i'm attracted to in the animation is is shows where it's the the little interactions in the animation which sell me I, i'm not so much wowed by big explosions and action sequences although i do love those too it, it's like little moments like someone running their fingers through someone's hair or, mm. or an exchange glance or just these little intimate moments which i i really love it when someone just captures those i think there's a photography term for like i think it's the decisive moment when you just hit the shutter the right right the exact right moment to capture some little expression or something which completely sums up a, a mood and i think what good intimate animation can do is like capture these small gestures and sort of bring your attention to them and eccentric family is very much a show where because it is focused on this very closely knit family uh who have just recently lost their their father and the their sort of exchanged network of social contacts around that that almost anyone who who is interacting with anyone else already knows that person it's not just oh He's meeting so and so for the first time. They've never met before. These are people with years of history between each other, and it's confident enough not to need to explain those relationships. It it just lets them unfold and lets us see them interacting, and understand how they are together from those interactions. And I think like, like that's why it rings true to me as as like a show about Out family because it's it's clear the characters have this shared history and understanding it's there's no speaking to the camera to explain in why they care about each other it's you, you can tell just from the way they're acting that and like the whole plot which is the fallouts from the father's death death in the first season and in the second season it's more about the return of a prodigal son and the sons of the uh shimagaro uh, family sort of coming into their roles as adults rather than sons it's like the eldest the son getting married the youngest son finally sort of admitting he has feelings for someone and like the middle son sort of going off and getting over his anxieties and his self-blame for their father's death and it's all about how they've their roles have changed. Their that the way they see themselves is changing from like we are the sons of this great man to we are these individuals in our own right. And yeah, I just I love I love the show just because it's I, I'm a sucker for those small moments and and that's that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean there's a, there is a there's often very little space in media for families as like places of affection and i think that eccentric family does well to show that even with all the history that you have with your family even though it's very difficult um there is something gratifying about just having people who've known you your entire life and who are in your life because of that i don't know
2: i think it's nice that even though eccentric family has a lot of problems or the family in eccentric family mm-hmm. has a lot of problems mm-hmm. they're not dysfunctional they're just people and yeah that's yeah. pretty rare that's pretty rare for anime that focus on family.
4: Each of the sons could easily just be a trope. You've got, like, the the rebellious come what may joker. You've got, like, the introverted literally hides away in a hole (laughs) hole, at the bottom of a hole blaming himself for their father's death and then you've got the sort of over serious elder brother and the sort of precocious younger youngest son who doesn't really get much time but he's just sort of there to round it off yeah it's it's like they all interact with each other in believable ways none of them feel like just the their tropes and they all care about each Mm -hmm. other
2: constantly it's good yeah even even when they fight like you know that it's coming from a place of actually caring about each other and wanting each other to be you know better in, i guess
4: in the second season there's um there's a character called prof yakshibo he's 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 like a, he's a tengu he's like a, a part of their extended family he's always been very close to their dad and he's like a mentor to yasaburo and he he has a daughter called Benton. Well, not a daughter. Well, (laughs) there's an entirely, there's an entirely very complex. That's a dysfunctional dysfunctional relationship. There's a, he has a adopted pupil called Benton who he, he literally abducted and uh, started teaching to be a Tango. That's all we know in season one. In season two, uh, his real son comes, comes home and, they start disputing his inheritance, and what's and it's interesting because in the first season he's just shown as like this old cantankerous person with with no real gravity to him, and yet in the second season when his his son returns, he, initially he's still the same sort of cranky, uh, irresponsible uh, lech, but the moment something bad actually happens to uh, uh, Benton, he actually steps up and. From out of nowhere, almost comes this this gravitas because something bad has happened to someone he he cares about, and he he steps up and actually starts acting like a parent again. And it's it's really gratifying to see this character whose whose entire personality for the first season is sort of defined by his his inability to reconcile himself with how washed up he's become and how little he wants to engage with the responsibilities has he has left to actually sort of step forward and actually start looking after people and taking care of them. Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole thing of um, whether or not uh, Benten is actually his granddaughter, because there's, there's a whole plot of, of... She resembles a woman her his son fell in love with and actually ended up running away... From his father because of an argument that he wouldn't let her marry into the family, and so what we don't know is 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 this a case of like he felt so guilty of driving this human away from his Tengu son that he's then adopted a woman who looks like her, or is it actually his granddaughter? And there's this whole all thread of is this does it even matter whether or not she is related to him? Is what actually matters that the fact that they've both decided they do care about each other. Yeah. And that's all I got. No no no, actually no that isn't all <laughs> I've got. I could go on for like 2 3 days, months, years maybe, but that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, it's funny that because with the Finster family you have
0: the three brothers who are kind of not necessarily close but definitely supporting each other and a lot of what I ended up looking at is dysfunctional sibling relationships and I mean Speaking of shows we could go on forever, I could talk about the difference between uh, <laughs> between uh, Kill and Sochi and Turn A Gundam. How these two d- these two daughters of a dead father and a mentally ruined mother kind of going along different paths, but still, you know, trying to stay in touch while they're definitely being brought in different directions. Definitely is what I think of when I think of like realistic family relationships. In anime, but really the masterclass in dysfunctional sibling relationships is Revolutionary Girl Utna, where like the number the number of uh of brother-sister combos <laughs> in it yeah. uh is is fairly extreme. Where I mean the first one that I think you encounter is uh is uh, Toga and his sister Nanami, who where he is the the proud authoritarian figure and she is the Manipulative, duplicitous woman who is like pulling him this way and that way. Um, but we also have like Mickey and his uh, his uh, twin sister Cosway. Yeah,
4: that, that, that that one's complete. That is just like well, not all of them are completely messed up. Frankly, none of them are, are happy and functional or, or sibling relationships. Yeah, that, no that one in particular is uh, that that. Uh, uh, The other one is, like, a trope you see often, like, oh, the the, the sort of, as you say, the elder, the sort of classy elder brother being manipulated by the slightly vicious sister, whereas in this case it's, like, the resentful sister just, like, outright going out to hurt her brother by acting in the ways she knows will upset him most.
0: Right, because uh, because, uh, Miki is really into playing the piano and he used to play it with his sister, but then she like decided one day that playing the piano is dumb and never played it again. And he like literally feels like he's missing half his soul because she won't play music (laughs) with him anymore. And (laughs) it kind of, this kind of builds into the other relationship, which is the relationship slight spoilers between Akio Otori and Anthe Himemia who are revealed to be brother and sister, the headmaster of the Academy and the uh, Rose Bride over whom everyone duels in Utena, And specifically, he has had his personality split into good and bad. And the good exists as a ghost that inhabits Utena when she duels. And the bad is the manipulative, abusive, exploitative director of the Academy. And the idea that like literally without these people who have become foundational parts of your life, you have less of yourself available. <sighs> and there's also like some, some stuff, especially in the manga that, that uh uh akio uses his knowledge of his better half to manipulate utina and anthi kind of enables that which is not mm. to say that like at the very basic rivalry of of a uh, toga and nanami is not bad because there is the episode where she puts a kitten in a box and pushes it into the river <laughs> because the kitten because toga loves the kitten more than her she feels <laughs> but the yeah like uh Utena is is full of this kind of like poisonous sibling affection and the fact that like caring about someone like the the unfortunate cocktail of being connected to someone by blood and caring about them um can just like make you an, an, an ineluctably terrible person mm. so
4: i mean that's definitely something he returns to in both penguin drum and in sarazame
0: yes that's good that's a good point
4: and uh, like like there's the i do feel like the this, the 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 sister we don't realise is a sister until the very end in uh, Penguin Drum mm-hmm. is definitely, like, riffing on some of the stuff from Utena, both in her design and in, like, oh, this is the, the hidden sister who's, like, whose Bond, who still no, has her Bond with her brother, but her, her brother has uh, completely forgotten about mm-hmm. her and found this new family, and she's... Hugely resentful of of, of that. Right. And the, the
0: threateningness it is having a family that's not the family you came up with, too, is very Yeah. And also just just uh <laughs> the uh Ringo and her dead sister with her prophecy notebook and just like the fact that like I've never I've luckily never had this feeling. I don't think I know anybody who felt this way, but sometimes when a when a sibling perishes and people feel pressure to to become their dead sibling or to like carry their torch to the world is definitely a, a theme in penguin drum yeah. too
4: and i think that's that's something which pops up a few times in anime and like the most recent encounter for me was um bloom into you uh last season mm-hmm. where obviously that was a, a trope they played with and then sort of um transcended in quite interesting ways to me mm-hmm. but it's like definitely there's this idea of um when an el uh, uh, yeah, whether either a, a father or an elder sibling is removed from the equation when people then try and step into that void, and how that can twist people trying to fulfill the expectations of someone who just they fundamentally are are not. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and yeah, I, I had more to say, but I've I've lost it. Hopefully, I'll remember it <laughs> by the time I'm end. Of, I'm done talking, but. No, yeah, we have this this idea that that there is this sort of I mean, it reminds me of the medieval the medieval practice of like you would give your first child the same first the same first name until they survived into like, you know, four or five years old and weren't gonna die from all the childhood illnesses. Because like I mean, the philosophy back then was like, why waste a good like an important family name on a kid who's just gonna be, you know, dead at eighteen oh, months dude, and buried great. in a and buried in a grave. Um and like I guess you see a small remnant of that uh, of that sentiment in these like this Japanese trope of like trying to step in and fulfill the role of a dead sibling that is, is considered like some form of fate. But yeah, I mean, I have a lot of my my other topic that I looked into was just like adoptive families, especially adoptive families of necessity. And there's like the good examples like Haibane Renmei, where all these people mm-hmm. reborn in this kind of smoky, foggy amnesiac afterlife kind of except that like someone does the cooking and someone does the cleaning and someone like does this and that and everyone kind of just falls into these sort of household roles and it does it does kind of remind me of how in Latin um, familias doesn't mean like blood relations it means a household of, of people and it includes That's like literally like slaves and servants and relatives that stay over there like family is just like the people who live in their house and take care of each other and that kind of comes out in in Hibane Renmei, and you can compare that to to Nia Under 7, where you have the same sort of, like, people who live in the bathhouse and are taking care of each other, but everyone's so depressed and lost, especially especially the, you know, protagonist character uh, Mayuko that's, and
4: that, Nia. That's, that's an interesting thing you bring up, because I think the two, two anime from recent seasons where I think there is that sense of um, like a, a an extended family uh, would be uh, run with the wind and uh, uh free line. yeah which in, in both cases that it's very much about them sharing the meals sitting around the the, the contacts who together and uh, like having these these moments in a house and that, i think yeah there's that's definitely something which pops up in anime quite frequently as as a unifying thing well the
0: act of sitting around the table is like i think one of the most iconic Mm, images of family uh and at least one of the more iconic ones it's not depressing like uh Mm. being at a funeral or something (laughs) but like yeah like it, it like and that's funny because i haven't sat around the table for a meal with my family and in like six months more maybe more than that and it's just like it's funny that we think of like that act of of like communion Around these these like central objects in the household, the uh, the hearth, the table, these days the TV. Um, that mm. yeah, I don't know. It it is interesting to like watch in an anime when they do these when they deploy these images of family and these images of togetherness and like intimate bonding. And I don't know. Mm. It's always nice. And you're right to bring up Three Line because that is a great example of um, no mother, no father, just a grandfather, three daughters, and a boy who keeps coming over. And and yet, it, do, it does feel like one of the most cozy and familial environments in anime.
1: I always find it very interesting how 90% of potato-kuns have parents who live, who are working abroad. <laughs> yeah, they
2: just don't exist.
1: It's such a common trope that I can't ever believe. I was thinking, like, I can't believe this is an actual thing, but then someone at my work, he... His son is studying in like Malaysia or something, and I'm like, "Why would you take him there?" And he was like, "Well, he needs, he wants to learn Chinese." So and, <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, fine, fine, that's really cool." And he was like, "Yeah, but his study's not very good, so I'm thinking of maybe we need a, I guess, I'm gonna, yeah." So you know, it's just one of those, uh, it's one of those weird things in which you don't think it happens until you see someone where it actually happens, <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, okay, right, right." Maybe there is
4: yeah. a. I mean, for this. yeah, like the, it's like the famous, it's, it's the trope is like the idea of the the parents, as you say, being away on business, so like just so the kid can do whatever they want constantly. And like, I think like it's particularly something which will crops up in like Shonen because you don't actually always want trauma for a a protagonist in a, a, a happy go lucky show. You. Uh, you just want the parents as a as an absence rather than a, a trauma which you, they're they're battling against and
1: yeah i think i think it's a uh, numerous things it's one so that you don't have to worry about that part of his life so you don't have to focus on his family he can focus on the romantic relationships and whatever that are usually forming around him mm-hmm. and then on top of that like depending on the show you might just get some weird like etchy shit pop up and you're like well yeah i mean that's what happens i guess when you live alone and you Mm -hmm. for some reason let a girl in the house and she's like you know what i'm gonna do now i'm gonna have a shower that's what always yeah
0: there's no parent to be like what the fuck are you doing with this girl over here at 10 at night
4: Yeah. At, at this point, I feel like I should uh, uh, bring up the N word and make Jeff's ears prick up, and, and say Monogatari has some interesting s- stuff to do in terms I of absent to parents. <laughs> <laughs> well, unbite your tongue and, and just like, it's like you've got the, the whole stuff with Hanako, which is just like heartbreaking and just like,
0: yeah, that's a good that's a good subversion mm. of like of fake families not having this like happy like oh you found a family even if you aren't related by blood like no. Her family's not related by blood, and that's an excuse for, like, incredibly painful abuse. So, mm-hmm.
4: so where, would, would her dad feature in the top five worst dads, Jeff? Or, or, or is because he's so uh, sort of anonymous and uninterested, does he just not even classify as a dad? I don't think these
3: ever, even ever on screen, which is not yeah. uncommon for somebody who isn't a main girl in Monogatari. But, like, even within Hanukkah's life, he... Is basically just you know a, a vector of abuse and mm. pretty much nothing else. So, do you even named? call him a dad? I don't. I mean, Mister Hanako. I'm pretty sure is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think they ever call him anything other than that. Um, yeah, and it's kind of funny because you know, Monogatari is all about just taking every you know shonen trope or every like light novel trope about like you know, potato coons and inappropriate relationships with the sisters and everything else. (laughs) And still having, you know, on, you know, Araragi keeps claiming that, you know, it's a full lively house, but his parents just like have given up on him and don't really care. But they're also present. And, you know, it will be mentioned off the cuff that like, oh, every morning we have breakfast together and we have, you know, we are pretty involved in each other's lives. And, you know, we're just seeing like a very... Very skewed, very weird, you know, view of this weirdo's life through the keyhole of his own very unreliable narration, and you know the fact that you know he has two parents; they are present in his life. They're both police officers, and you know, you you sort of are like drip fed these little you know clues as to like you know how did these people shape him and everything else. But also, they're just non-presences in the show, and they just kind of gloss over the fact that, you know, he'll disappear for hours at a time, or days, or weeks. You know, sometimes he has a small blonde girl living in his room, and
4: nobody really wants to bring it up, and stuff like that, so... It's weird, like, one of the, the, I don't know why it sticks to me, but one of the things from the first series of Monogatari I, I most remember is um, Sandra Kahara's dad driving Ariagi to their date. I mean, he, a great he was, scene. He fact,
3: Yeah, he featured heavily in my aborted top five dads list because he's also, like, the classic, you know, dad who is constantly away on business because he was saddled with this enormous debt because his mom got sucked into a cult You know, mm, we yeah. we, tu- we touched on The, the Happy Sciences cults uh, On the Koizumi tween And there's Yeah, there's this scene where he goes on a date With Senju Kihara, which mostly fe- feature, you know, Features them Riding in a car with her dad While she's being like Uncomfortably intimate with him While he's doing his <laughs> best to not Like <laughs> blow up his entire scene In front of her dad, and then, you know, she you know, they finally arrive at their destination. She says, like, I'm going to go ahead and get ready. And he turns around and tells him, you know, thank you for, you know, being this person in my daughter's life. She's had a really hard time. She's really smitten with you. And it's this, this really sweet scene because, like, typically, you know, what you would expect from that is, you know, him being this, like, terrifying presence. But he's you know he's just genuinely this like hardworking guy trying to do best by you know for his daughter no that, you're right
0: you know, you're right that his his appearance and his vocal performance is coded as like the intimidating like businessman dad mm-hmm. yes
4: stern that
3: and then they also you know drop the fact that you know Sandra Ikihara jokingly quote-unquote maybe sort of has an electric complex for her dad and stuff like that and you know because you know it's monogatari nothing can just be nice <laughs> <laughs>
4: I mean that that now reminds me of um um the uh the the parents in Flowers of Evil and like <laughs> their complete and utter uh they they think they've done everything right for him. And it's like we we've, we've done everything right and yet you've turned up like this complete mess up and yet um the the other parent we get to meet is this worn down shell of a man who's 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 just really worried about his daughter, but doesn't know what to do. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's just and like he, we, we, I think that Ben at the t- time we we watched that you said like, oh, what sort of monster is he going to be? Is is the right? We we, we assume
0: that there's the, that like it goes all the way up to the top, so to speak, and that like mm-hmm. that like her personal and emotional problems are because he's terrible. He's just like a guy doing his best. He seems kind mm-hmm. of tired and a little bit out of touch, but is not like. Bad, so
3: yeah. And then he also says, like, "Oh, you know, he, she's just like her mother." And then you get to meet her mother in the the manga, and she also just seems like a person. She's not this like creature that Nakamura seems to be. But yeah, it's it. You know, it's one of the rare instances in manga and anime where there isn't like a sense of destiny, where things are not you know set you know written in the stars.
0: Mm-hmm people just trying to get by yeah well i'm trying to think <laughs> of if anyone else has like a, a classic like uh upset anime they're obsessed about that we could that we could be bringing in but like unless we go into like all the shonen stuff like all the weird <laughs> all the weird bloodline <laughs> shit in naruto or something i don't think that we'll get much out I of mean, it i
2: could drop a show here i'll drop a shonen one real quick it's a bonus bad dad time <laughs> uh the jing from hunter hunter the, the father of Gon. uh yeah he yeah. spins almost the entire anime just running away from Gon, as <laughs> Gon's trying to catch up to him and say hey dad i'm here to meet you and then at the very end like they meet and he's like all right we met later <laughs> and then fucking books it and then in the manga he he literally leaves on a ship to go to like the extra continent while Gon's in the fucking hospital
0: recovering
1: from yeah, uh, like what huge a, what a day. yeah he's like see ya I I feel
0: bad, like, only having bad sibling relationships. So, like, real quick, like, no one brings up Lucky Star anymore. I think its moment's kind of passed. But, like, the two sisters in Lucky Star are nice. I don't know. One of of them's kind of a ditz. One of them's kind of sassy. I guess it's the same relationship as Ui and Yui and Kaon. But,
4: yeah. Oh, and the dad and the daughter in that, too. You have just reminded me of, in terms of shows no one one talks about anymore, Andy actually brought one up earlier, which has a, a... Uh, Not one of my favourite dads, who's not necessarily a a good dad, which is uh, FLCL, (laughs) (laughs) which which has like a a a dad who is completely a a horn dog who just falls down these scheme after scheme, and yet still seems to have like this kinship with his son. Like it's 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 almost like. That 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 sort of father you you hear about, but you never actually ex- meet, who who wants to just hang out with their son and and do the things w- 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 what their son son is doing. Like he goes off and plays airsoft with him. He's hanging around reading manga with him, and it's it's like, I mean it's like he's actually terrible because he's completely infantile and 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 chasing after the same girls that he is. And I don't know. It's no, like...
0: I I agree. It's it's very. Like in keeping with that that vintage of Gynax, it's a very sort of Freudian thing where your dad is is at at, at his very basic level your primary like social and sexual competition. Um, so like <laughs> the main the main issue with like with Nauta and his and his dad is that like his dad wants to get with the girl that he's got a a very poorly processed crush on. <laughs> uh,
1: another another good dad uh, as as. I was sort of looking around as uh, the dad in Persona Four. Very good dad. Really. Is that an anime? Uh, is
0: that an anime? Yeah,
1: yeah. There is a Persona Four. And anime. there's an anime
2: there's... version of it,
0: so he... I guess we can let
2: it
4: slide. <laughs> also famous dad,
1: but if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, there's three anime. Uh, cause they yeah. did it oh no, Golden. Well, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's he's a good dad. Cares about his daughter until he goes to the hospital. Uh, he's not. He's a bad dad. He's pretty negligent. Really. <laughs> he just cares about the job and finding out who killed his wife. Uh, good dad. Okay, mm-hmm. I'm feeling. Oh, I'm also dad. feeling
0: bad about uh, minimal moms. So I'm um, just going to say wolf children and let Duncan take it from
4: there. Oh
1: yeah, <laughs> but, but like I mean. Oh yeah, wolf children's got. Good yeah, I mean,
4: and, and another great mum uh, is. Um, uh, Oh, bloody hell. One moment, need to
0: look at bookshelves. I'm pulling up uh, an article on thegamer.com, the most powerful moms of all time, which I'll go ahead and leave in the <laughs> show notes. Well,
4: I, I was going to say both a good, a, a good mum and a, a very sad uh, story about family is from this from this corner of the world, mm. which obviously has like, um, like and someone getting married into a family and just... Like being, becoming part of it, sort of like in p- part of the routines and the the little things which go on between them, and like then this incredibly sad story of um like lo- the loss of a child, mm-hmm. which happens, and and sort of the the very real sense of blame someone feels, feels towards that, that child, and how. What really speaks to the strength of of both the the, the storytelling in, in that film and of that family is is how she and the the child's mother are still able to actually reconcile that to actually come to an understanding of each other's pain and like I think that if that that as any, any moment sort of really encapsulates well how like one of the few people who can like make that step to understanding really deep trauma are people you have that those small intimacies with and that day-to-day interaction with and like that's what's that was families about yeah no anime's willingness to
0: sometimes capture as you said the small intimacies um the mundanities that don't usually make it into like big hollywood style gestures of like this mom loves her son so much she'd die for him just like people being nice to each other i don't know anyway that seems like a
4: great place to wrap it up so (laughs) can can we wrap up with the final thing which is like the both in tribute to Andy's impending nu- nuptials and and also uh, <laughs> the, the what I think is probably the worst shoehorning of, of the concept of family into a show ever, which is the bridezilla that was darling in the Franks.
0: <laughs> I mean, I will I will always be be happy to like do like space bride. Don't care, but <laughs> I think I think that like. Jeff and Mai's, like, weird... <laughs> weird hashing out of... Yeah, like... I mean, we all want a magical girlfriend, but few anime take it all the way to having like a magical wife appearing out of nowhere and then flying down a space lane of lit of lit lights to her marriage, which is being reborn as two souls that will meet again under the tree that grew where you... What the fuck ever. Oh my god, darling. <laughs> <the ranks. sighs> I mean, how... I mean, it, it's like... It's Shakespeare. Every... every you know, every play has to end in death or a wedding and and Frank's is like why not both yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> all right well remember rate review subscribe to us on iTunes find us on Twitter at keyframes pod uh just point uh, it's not iTunes anymore it's apple podcasts
1: <laughs> oh god oh my god really yep Oh yeah, they, because I kind so like It's
0: you the know, rebranding. Uh, rate and subscribe yeah. to us on Apple Podcasts. Find us on Twitter yeah, yeah, yeah. at Keyframes Pod until they rename that. Find us uh-huh. on Facebook, Keyframes Podcast. Email us questions about your favorite mom and dad or your favorite nakama families at keyframespodcast at gmail dot com. And remember, tell a friend about this podcast. Say that we've got a new format. Invite them in. Yeah.
1: But but not any friend. Maybe you should invite your dad, who randomly posts you an anime game. <laughs> 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 All right. That's the joke for the cast that no one else. <laughs>
0: Say goodbye, everybody, what is it? and happy Father's Day. <laughs> Hope you had a happy Father's Day.
3: Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye.